Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Melbourne Ediverse User Group Podcast. My name is Arjen Swart and I'm joined by everyone's friends, Sean Manuel Becker and Guy Morton. Hey everyone. <laughs> we always do that. We talk, you should announce us individually. <laughs> so, yeah, John, uh, Jean-Michel. Hello. <laughs> anyway. Now, it comes as no surprise that we're discussing the news from November. But unlike usually, we won't cover everything this time, as we're recording a bit early because of reInvent. That means some of the November announcements we'll cover during our reInvent podcast, which will probably come in the first or second week of the three-week extravaganza, when most of the announcements will have come. Oh, we, we can maybe mention uh, that the session of reInvent agenda has been published. And uh, so you can log into the reInvent website and see all the different um, sessions who interest you and book some time in your calendars. It's a tedious task, but I think it's worth it. And there is time in Australia times and time middle of the night as well. So, yeah, just as a general tip that I from being at reInvent itself, always make sure you keep slots open because a lot of sessions won't be announced until the service is announced. Yes, so after Andy Jassy uh, uh, talk, uh, usually there is some new session who is popping up. So do a, a new search uh, to find the session uh, on the new product and uh, um, the new uh, announcement uh, to do some deep dive with the team. With that, let's have a look at what we finally have in Sydney. We already mentioned this in the last podcast, but Amazon Kendra is now available in Sydney, which is nice. Again, we've discussed this in the past, so not that much new to say about it. Well, it's like a corporate uh, enterprise search engine, right? Yes, yes. And what's, what's new this month is the uh, Confluence, so Atlassian Confluence Connector for, for Kendra. And uh, I know that many people are always complaining about they can't find anything on Confluence. So maybe that tool will be able to, uh, you know, extract uh, blogs and information and pages from Confluence and put them into a nice searchable format. So looking forward to test it. Yeah. And to clarify, because last month we said almost the same thing. Last month's Confluence connector was for Confluence Surfer, which is the self-hosted version. And... This month is for the cloud-hosted version of Confluence because obviously that needs two different things. <laughs> yeah. Well, it probably does. If I, if I remember at Atlassian at, at, at all, it's probably two completely different pieces of software. So, yeah, it, it's they're, they're a bit annoying like that. And they're run on different versions. Yep. Yeah. Um, IP multicast on Transit Gateway is now also available in Sydney. Yeah, it's not a service really uh, very um, well being used very much at the moment, uh, but um, that can be used for news articles, for stock quotes and group subscribers to be able to broadcast across multiple VPCs. And uh, this is, I mean, AWS is the only cloud where you can do multicast. So that's quite interesting to be able to migrate multicast application uh, um, into that environment. So you need a transit gateway for that, and then you need to create that connectivity between your VPCs and you can start multicasting information. Interesting for some application, but um, yeah, not, not, not everyone used that. And the other Australia Sydney related news is that we have a new community hero, or data hero in this case, which is Denise Bauer. I have never met her, but reading the blurb about her on the site sounds like she knows a lot of things about things that I don't know anything about. Well, she's part of the CSRO, so that's a you know, pretty respectable um, uh, company uh, or organization. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see talks and, and keynotes. Um, she's, she can do. Very interesting. And it's always good to see more women in tech, right? Yes, and more people from Australia doing becoming AWS heroes. Yep. All good things. Let's have a look at serverless items. Hmm. The one that I probably find most interesting is EventBridge now allowing for event replay. This basically means that you can now redo an event. So if it failed for some reason or just well, testing, I guess, you can have it run the same thing and make sure it all goes through correctly this time. Yeah. And again, I think we've, we've, we've probably commented at the last several uh, what's news around things that AWS has done 
for EventBridge to make it more sort of as a serious sort of application piece of your application stack. And this capability is a key part of that to be able to replay events that have failed. You can't have a system that's sort of a key part of your production application stack that, that you know, you can only run events through once. And if the, if it didn't work, then <laughs> you can't do anything about it. So, um, there's been a few announcements around, around event, uh, event bridge that have, that have been to that end. Yeah. There was a dead letter queue last month, I think. And then now the event replay. So, uh, there is an archive processing fee for 13 cents per gigabyte and then a storage per month of, uh, 0.025 five cents per month in Sydney. So like S3 cost basically. So yeah, a bit of cost for the storage, but fair enough. Don't want to keep too much anyway. Yeah. Cool. Um, you can now have CodeGuru Profiler for your Lambda functions. So if you're, I wouldn't call them bloated. <laughs> Go call, call them bloated. Go on. Yeah. If you're actually running your Lambda functions with Java, you can now use a layer to have it baked into your runtime. Um, it's basically dependent on Coretta, and then you can have your profile information. The result of that might say rewrite to a different language, <laughs> but that could also just be me. Um, other Lambda announcements around, uh, so it makes it easier to send logs to custom destinations and um, event source. Oh, so ActiveMQ. So that got some love last, last month, I think, too. Um, in fact, it was a candidate for a nano. Um, the, they up, updated, um, um, Apache MQ to, um, ActiveMQ to well, like a, a 1.1 and, um, um, version bump. So I don't know what, maybe this is connected. Maybe they needed that to, to enable it to be an event source for Lambda, but, um, Apache, uh, Amazon MQ is now an event source for Lambda. That's very good. Yeah. But only for the Apache ActiveMQ. We'll come to it later, but there's now a RabbitMQ version, yes. Ah, uh, that's true. That's right. Yes, quite right. Thank you for clarifying that. Don't want to get too excited. <laughs> uh, there is two big uh, step function uh, support integration now, one with um, API Gateway uh, service integration. So um, you can now have API Gateway, uh, the REST version or the HTTP version as your um, step function integration. And uh, the other one is with EKS integration as well. So very interesting there uh, to be able to um, orchestrate jobs running on Kubernetes. So your step function linked with Lambda, SNS, SQS, all working together with step function, orchestrating the, the show. Uh, um, yeah, very very cool. It's another one of those services that's received a lot of a lot of consistent development this year, um, and 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 been extended into a bunch of different. Um, I think every month there's been an announcement about some integration with set functions that's been worthy of note. And always that you can always remove the error handling into your code and then putting that into a logic into the step function instead of having to build all that uh, yourself in, into your code. So that very good. Yep, pretty cool, but. That's it already for serverless. It's not that many things. Now, maybe some good stuff coming up later this month. Talking about big stuff, I think light sail containers, it's a big stuff this month. So you can now run containers uh, with light sail. Arjun, do you like it? I haven't actually tried it. I know that you said you have. Um, look, this is one of those things that we've mentioned in the past where AWS is making it easier to do things, which is great. Um, I am not a big fan of the light cell product itself. And especially when you com compare this probably to the solutions that were announced a couple months ago, I think, um, where you can use Docker Compose to automatically deploy it to an ECS task and Filegate and have it all working like that. Um, this is a different way to do that with even more of a service layer on top. Yeah, I mean, as, as we were talking about before, the 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 LightSail has its own console. It has its own sort of whole user experience that they've wrapped up. And the nice thing about that, as JM sort of pointed out when we were chatting before, before we started recording, um, the, the you know the nice thing is that it. In this case, it gives you, you know, your load balancer and it gives you a way of getting your, your, um, SSL certificate, blah, 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 your, your DNS. And it kind of wraps it all up into a, a product that's kind of easy for perhaps someone who's not 
sort of super interested in all the details to just kind of get the job done. So that's kind of where they're pitching it. But the frustration that I share with you, Ian, on this one is there's, there's not really, they don't seem to make it possible for you to migrate from LightSail into um, other sort of native AWS services. So you can't sort of take your containers from a LightSail environment and just, you know, click a button and say, oh, now they're running an ECS and now I can access all the other, you know, capabilities of, of, of a sort of more featureful product. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, it's, it's an interesting product and it's good if that's what you need, but it's also got its limitations, which are something you probably should be aware of before you take a step into that. So just, just to highlight the product. So you can run containers, uh, without having a VPC, without uh, building any networking devices, any DNS or anything like that, uh, straight into AWS, just with a Docker file and, um, uh, and a couple of code lines for your for your uh, Docker. Uh, you need you can use um, Docker Hub or uh, your own desktop to be able to upload that file. You can't use ECR unfortunately. Um, and then um, yeah, for seven dollars a month, you can run a Nano, which is a five twelve memory and or two five CPU, and that includes uh, a public domain name from AWS. But you can uh, use a custom domain name and you can upload your own SSL certificate to it. So you can could run something very, very quickly. And that includes 500 gig of data as well, uh, egress. Uh, over that, AWS will charge you for don't people to abuse stuff, uh, nine, nine cents per gig, which is the egress cost uh, generally in, in AWS world. Um, so, you know, it probably responds to a demand for people who just want to test a container, put a website on it, uh, but there's so many other ways of doing it. And you're right, uh, when you are inside AWS and you prefer to use VPCs and, and the standard stuff, it's probably easier uh, for the long run than trying to run this in, into that separated environment. Yeah. Also, just to um, clarify with the pricing, for that $7 a month, you get a single container running? Yes. So if you want two, it costs 14 things like that. Compared to the light sale costs for just a single instance, which starts at 350 and you get more CPU and more data transfer as well. Yeah, because they mentioned, they mentioned the load balancer, I thought that, uh, you know, that will provide you some, some type of high availability across multi-AZ, um, where the light cell version, if your EC2 dies, then it dies. Um, so I think that AWS will provide a bit more kind of high availability for that container than, than the single instance. Uh, and having that, that SSL cert and, and domain, um, maybe worth the difference in price. Yeah, to be tested. I think we've spoken about light sale way too much now. <laughs> but yeah, um, moving on. ECS uh, supports IPv6 in AWS VPC networking mode. This is interesting. Um, it's not a major deal because, again, I think this kind of feature comes really interesting once you no longer have to have both IPv4 and IPv6. If you can run only, if you can run purely IPv6, then it means you no longer have to worry about anything related to your subnet sizing. Now it's only useful if your containers connect to an IPv6 only network, which would usually be your on-prem network. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that you probably find interesting, Guy, with your love for CDK. Oh, yes. Tell me, tell me. ECS extensions are now GA, and the EKS construct library is now available as developer preview and support for CDK8S, or however you're supposed to pronounce that one. CD, CD Kates? Yeah, I don't know. I, I always say CD Kates in my head. I don't know whether that's right or not. Yep, yep. Always good to see more things in CDK. Um, so, yep. So were you just going to say what, what they are, James? No, no, no. I was saying that uh, because it's now developer preview, uh, AWS guarantee that there will be no breaking change going forward uh, to the GA version. So... Um, you can start really using it and, and uh, enjoying it. Except as a developer pre preview, so you may not enjoy it. <laughs> <coughs> I mean, we're talking the CDK here. It's not. It's not the world's most bug-free product. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. It, it it does it does occasionally bite you. So uh, yeah. Be, be, yeah. But you know, 
if if you're if you're into EKS and and CD Kates, um, absolutely get amongst it. The, the 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 more the more people who throw themselves at it and become sacrificial lambs to the slaughter of of the bugs, the faster the bugs get fixed, right? That's how it works. There is a couple of upgrade uh, in AWS AppMesh controller for Kubernetes version one point two zero. Nothing special in there, and there is the VPC CNI plugin version 1.7 as well for EKS clusters. Um, that includes support for pod security groups, uh, what we talked about uh, last month, and um, the automatically detect uh, new IP address changes as well for the existing VPC without having to restart the plugin. So a couple of enhancements there for people who love EKS. Well, let's then move on to a couple of big ones that I think we'll be very interested in, in the EC2 and VPC section. We've got a network firewall. So yeah, been, what, five years? We asked AWS to have a firewall maybe in AWS <laughs> to be able to use some type of egress filtering and ingress filtering instead of just having security groups. So very well, I guess, uh, designed product to be honest, uh, and a very um, interesting product to be able to deploy that to many, many different type of format uh, from north, south, east, west, uh, across transit gateways, across uh, VPCs. I mean, it's really, really uh, well thought out product. Um, Cost-wise, it's, I think it's $260 a month per endpoint. Uh, you need an endpoint per AZ. Uh, so very quickly, you are in the $1,100, $1,200 of a firewall. But when you're in enterprise and you look at what enterprise are doing today with current you know, next generation firewalls and very heavy product, which cost them like 50 grand a month to have two, um, then suddenly that that offering look look very interesting. Absolutely, and I think I think the other the other part of that too, which um, people tend to forget. So there was a conversation today I had at, at work around um, around this, and sort of you know, oh, it seems a bit expensive. But then when you sort of think about it, as you as you say, JM, I mean the 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 appliances that you can that you can that you can run in in AWS, you know, marketplace stuff. I mean it, that can get expensive fast just on ec2 i mean most of the time they're required m5 x extra large and just on ec2 cost yes yeah and 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 you're then responsible for a measure of that anyway right and then if you you know roll your own solution then you're responsible for everything and the ec2 cost and and you've got a bottleneck because this is auto this is this is this is dynamically going to scale to to meet demand right yeah it's not it's not it's not a fixed. It's not no. There's no bottleneck here. It's designed like the NAT gateway and all, all the other gateways and, and such that 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 you, you get. It's designed to, to to scale up as as you need it. Um, you're not paying. You're not managing infrastructure. You're not updating infrastructure. You know, it's all the sort of usual managed service kind of advantages come with come with this too, right? So yeah. it isn't just a it isn't just a sort of a feature comparison. It's also a work comparison like the tco discussion you'd have to have around this yeah yeah definitely and then when you see companies spending months to try to automate uh connectivity uh back to transit getaway with vpn ipsec on top and all sorts of things to make it highly available um aws do give you that out of the box so you can use um road engines um and there's two type of rules, one for stateless engine, so you just drop the packet if it's not matching, but then some other stateful kind of rule um, where it will look at your URL, it will uh, do some, some matching. Uh, you can use as well specific rules that you can design yourself uh, or import some from uh, providers and, and run that. Um, so, yeah, I'll, you know, yes, there's a cost, and when you start in AWS and you want the minimum cost to start with with your VPCs and your NAT getaways, but um, you know I think it's a, it's a fantastic product. Yeah. At this stage, there's only one real downside on it, which is that it's not in Sydney yet. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. That's right. It's yep. only in three regions at the moment, but um, uh, you know I'm sure Transit Getaway being here, all the all the component to work with that uh, product. Uh, already in Sydney, so it shouldn't be too long for that to come to us. Hmm. 
And I've got customers who are looking at removing their, you know, uh, appliances, firewall running on EC2 uh, with very expensive licenses to be replaced with that. Maybe not yep. for everything. I mean, if you still need the PCI environment uh, with east-west traffic filtering, maybe you still need your X brand uh, for compliance. But uh, for most of the stuff, especially for egress traffic, I mean, um, that's, that's pretty good. So the way it works, so you need a dedicated subnet uh, where you're going to install that uh, endpoint. So it's an endpoint. You don't see the device or anything like that. It's just an endpoint. And then you're going to change your route to point to that from that subnet in, inside to point to that uh, ENI of that endpoint. And then the right will go inside the firewall and can come back out. So you can have all sorts of uh, magic filtering from transit getaway. So you can have a uh, hub VPC talking to transit gateway going to the firewall going back going to another VPC that is west or going to another uh, subnet where you have an internet gateway and then a NAT gateway and then you get out uh, to the internet and all that routing happening through that endpoint um, and again it's scalable um, so yeah very good product I think and I think I've observed in the past um, you know who'd, who'd be uh, a service provider relying on AWS um, to not fill a gap that <laughs> that your product fills. <laughs> that was the only one left. Yeah, that's exactly right. That said, I find the other announcements in that same space very interesting, which is the AWS Gateway Load Balancer, which seems designed to run these appliances that the network firewall replaces. Yes, so... And it's the same technology the AWS product use. So it's funny, it's exactly the same. You have an endpoint happening in your VPC where you put yourself then EC2 instances with your Palo Alto and Checkpoint and Cisco or whatever device you want. And basically it's exactly the same product that AWS sells, but instead of having AWS managing the firewall instances for you, with the network firewall, then with the global, the getaway load balancer, yes, um, that appear in your VPC, it's an ENI, you change your route from your subnet to that ENI, and then you put behind your Palo Alto running on EC2. So you won't save anything uh, doing this in licensing, but you gain high availability because in the past we had to do this, you know, very complex IP sectional with BGP and ISN names and all that connecting VPC together with the transit getaway. And now AWS does it for you with that global load balancer, uh, and then you put your EC2 instance behind so you can scale them as well. But, you know, if you had to use something, why not to use the RDS type of uh, a firewall instead of doing your own, right? That's the same, same principle. Yeah. But but as you said, I mean, they're, they're, there's probably use cases for complex east-west filtering that, that I think you mentioned that you might, you might need a... Um, some other product for there may be there'll be gaps potentially yeah oh no for sure I mean uh, this new firewall is still you know the new product like AWS do it's not an MVP but it's, it's I think it's good you have JSON file for doing URL filtering and, and stuff like that you can import uh, Suricata compatible IPS rules and you can do the normal five tuples you know uh, protocol source destination blah 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 uh, firewall um, there is one thing though um, I think it's limiting the number of WCU uh, so you need to be careful of how many rules you might be need to apply and how that can uh, be ingested with the number of rules you can apply for that for that particular firewall before creating another one so that's that's one thing um, but you know, you get logging, you get out of the box uh, integration with Splunk, Sumo Logic, and all of that for for monitoring all your sim. I, I think it's really a good product, um, and I, honestly, I've been building Landing Zone for five, six years now in AWS. I've been begging for this because that's always a conversation we come with the customer. A NAT getaway is not a firewall. Knuckles is not good enough. So um, they they wanted something, and now we have it. So that that's really good. Yeah, and I think that's I think as you said, that's the other that's the other advantage of this is that it's it's able to it's kind of uh, aware of all the control tower and account type stuff that 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 is in a complex kind of multi account structure these days. So it's it's it it's it's kind of giving you a, a an AWS oriented solution that's kind of optimized for that. And talking about that, um, same 
same announcement or following announcement, uh, there is firewall manager who has been announced this month who now can integrate with this firewall. Yep. Um, so you can have across account, across org, the same rule getting pushed to all your firewalls. You have one centralized logging. Uh, you can monitor your security group. You can monitor your network for that. Um, now, good integration. Um, and I need to mention there is a fantastic blog uh, about the deployment. I mean, it's not a blog, it's like a Bible. It's, it, it will take you probably uh, three or four hours to read and there's a fantastic number of uh, diagrams in there explaining all the different uh, possibilities how to deploy the uh, AWS Network Firewall. So uh, have a look at it. Cool. Um, so other announcements in this section. Uh, the EC2 autoscaling now supports multiple launch templates. The main use case for this, as probably described in the blog post, is basically if you have completely different types of instances, so ARM and Intel in the same autoscaling group, now you can give them different AMIs. Or if you have bigger instance types that you need to run extra things on or less things or it's probably a bit of a niche um, announcement but it's still pretty cool uh, another ipv6 uh, improvement network load balancer now support ipv6 as well with uh, dual stack um, so that will integrate well with your ecs uh, if you need to and uh, yeah so you support uh, a dual stack with a, a dns name and uh, be able to uh, forward traffic now to ipv6 are the um, pause and resume workload on T3 and T3A? Um, always nice to see, you know, you, you can, not many people uh, no, are using it. They prefer terminate it or, or, or stop it completely, but you can hibernate as well, uh, EC2, T3 and T3A. Um, and you can do it on Amazon Linux, Linux 2, Ubuntu 16 and 18, and Windows Server 2012, R2 and 16 and 19 as well. So. Yeah. Let's have a look at DevOps then. CloudFormation chain sets now support nested stacks. On the one hand, this is great news. On the other hand, I still don't like nested stack. <laughs> nested stack. But that was painful, right? You couldn't do a chain set and you couldn't see what the impact it would be because he had nested stacks. So now you can see really the, the impact of if the resource is going to be created or destroyed or, or just updated um, yeah. uh, when you have your uh, chain set applied. So now, now, now you'll be forewarned or you'll now you'll be made aware of the fact that you've made a horrible mistake. Yeah, wait, wait for clicking apply, right? <laughs> you need to wait for the for the chain, chain set and, and everything to be able to check the the, the chain set and before you, you apply it. Yeah, it is such a, such a big improvement. Yeah. Like I said, I don't like nested stack. Uh, but when I've had to use them and then you made a change set and it showed you this stack has changes. Awesome. <laughs> that is just what I wanted to know. Yeah. Your RDS is going to be terminated, but we will tell you when we've done it. <laughs> um, speaking of stack sets, you can now also use the Web Service Catalog. So, okay. Um, but X-Ray with S3. Yeah, this is some... Um, I was interested in... Uh, I hadn't... I don't think I'd ever really been aware of, of, uh, the fact that you couldn't, you didn't get any kind of trace when using S3. Um, and now I guess this announcement means you do get that. Um, which is good. Yeah. It's also a bit, yeah. I wonder how they're doing it under the hood. Yeah. Mm. But I guess it's all API driven. So probably an API integration, but yeah, pretty cool. Um, there is an announcement with system manager of center. Um, that can integrate now with CloudWatch uh, to diagnose and uh, reputation alarms. Yeah, from from this release, uh, you can specify from System Manager Op Center action from the CloudWatch alarm and automatically create uh, an issue and, and alarm triggers in, inside Op Centers. So that's um, that's good integration and give you that global across account view if you have a couple of alarms on a couple of accounts. So um, this product is, seems to be growing from AWS uh, features, so um, probably people want to have a look at it. Yeah, I think we've mentioned it before, but it definitely um, seems to be trying to turn that into really an op center thing from which you can see and control at a high level, at least, all your accounts. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you are holding AWS, uh, the only cloud you use, then that can be a very good uh, alternative product. I know my customers uh, want to usually use multiple environment or they have on-prem stuff, so they have already their own product. But um, yeah, if you are all in in AWS, I think OpCenter can uh, become very attractive now. Security? Yeah. Uh, we talked about Insecurity, AWS Firewall Management that supports centralized management for AWS Network Firewalls. So we talk about that. It's the big one. There are free services now that use that allow you to use KMS, DynamoDB, Global Tables, KMS, and Textract. Uh, always good. Not much to say about that. I think you meant SageMaker Studio, did you? You said you can use KMS and KMS. Yes. <laughs> I'll just really call that. <laughs> so it's DynamoDB. <laughs> DynamoDB, Global Tables, SageMaker Studio, and Textract can all use KMS. So in Global Tables, um, just a reminder that KMS need a keeper region, right? So key are not shared across region. Um, you need a keeper region. So when you uh, want to replicate your table, you need to nominate your CMK in each region, and then the, the replication will happen with different encryption in each region. And the advantage of having CMK, obviously, you have much more control on your encryption keys. You can monitor with CloudTrail, um, and um, yeah, you can rotate your keys as well once a year automatically with uh, AWS. Nate. We've come to data storage and processing. This accounted for what I feel like about half of this month's announcements. <laughs> There's really a lot here, so if we are skipping over your favorite announcements, our apologies, but there's no way that we can cover all of this and do that in less than four hours. So do you want to just start start at the top and work your way down i mean i think i think the I think the first one's probably of of interest to people using Dynamo. you can um export your table data to S3. Yep. That I think probably will be useful for, for people who have got a lot of data in Dynamo and they want to be able to push it into S3 and then do things like run SageMaker, Athena, do sort of data lakey type stuff with it. Um, doesn't require you to write any code. It's just a sort of clicky through the console to set something up. Presumably there's some other ways of doing it as well. And you can export it into a JSON format or a an Amazon Ion format. Did you did you know what Amazon Ion format is, guys? It's an extended JSON version or something? Basically, yeah. Yeah. It's got some support for some extra types. Right. Well I think it, I think it's interesting. Um, it costs around ten cents per gigabyte process in the US East region. Um, and uh it wrapped basically your uh, uh Dynamo TV table into a JSON uh, blob uh, with an item at the front and then all your record, but, which is interesting. I was reading the blog as well before that you have a NoSQL that you export to JSON to S3, and then you're going to use Athena to run SQL queries <laughs> to be able to interrogate JSON. How good is that? So for people who cannot uh, use NoSQL, then maybe uh, that's a good good way of uh, using SQL commands to be able to query DynamoDB tables. Yeah, it could also be that it, for some people, it might fit better into existing workflows. Yeah, I mean, for data lakes, uh, when you have a lot of data in DynamoDB, that you need to import that into other environment and do joins and all the type instead of building your own ETL or doing a Dynamo data stream first and well, that is out of the box by AWS and you end up in S3. So minimum cost and obviously the cost of S3 for storing the data. You need to enable PITR though on DynamoDB if you don't have, uh, because you need to do that diff uh, to understand the change uh, and that's a little cost, but usually you want to back up your DynamoDB table so you have that enabled already. Yep. And after you've put it, all your DynamoDB data in S3, you can now use the S3 storage lens to have visibility into it. Yes. This is pretty cool as well. If you've worked with S3 in the past, you know how difficult it could be to have any idea of how much you have in there. I think that has, that has improved a bit over the years, but the S3 storage lens gives you a wonderful insights into how much you're storing, whether it's encrypted, whether it's versioned, a lot of information that you can see all from a surprisingly nice 
bit of console. Yeah, you don't have to go to CloudWatch. You stay in S3, you just click on it. You click your report, which is a free metric. So you have an advanced one and a free version. But today, if you go and see your AWS account, you have one, you have a report already, you can check. And then suddenly you're going to see, oh, I've got S3 bucket across all these regions. Uh, they, they have been growing for the last three months uh, with all that data. What What is it? And that happened to me today. I went to delete 500 meg of data that I didn't need. It was just all log stuff that I, I was there keep accumulating. So um, very useful uh, to get this holistic view of all your S3. And for organization as well, even better, you need to enable uh, at the organization level the the feature, but then suddenly you can see across your org all your S3 buckets. Yeah. I mean to me that's that that's a that's kind of a that's the killer the, the killer aspect of this is the the fact that it'll give you a cross account view of your S3. Yeah. And the and the growth and and uh, who consume what and, and um, so on. Very, very, very cool. Um, I think really changing the way people are going to use S3 as well. Reducing costs for us, I mean, uh, and you can look at which type of um, standard or or archive you use as well and say how you can maybe be more efficient at moving uh, in the different storage class to save costs as well because, you know, nothing has moved from that bucket. Yeah, I think that's right because, I mean, I think that one one of the challenges with S3 is it really has, like the interface for S3 is really, doesn't really tell you anything at all yeah you know it's it's one of the the least information rich views on your infrastructure that you you could possibly imagine because yeah i mean at the top level it doesn't even give you any indication of how much stuff's in in a bucket right but it's magic right Unlimited, right? You just stick it in there. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's right. And, and that's you know the, the the that bill shock thing when you 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 find you've got you know petabytes of of data of log files that have that have. So I think this is a really good. Um, and it's a really it's a step change for S three to have that kind of visibility and transparency as well. And across org, I think I'm very impressed with that. Um, yeah. No, oh, awesome. Uh, a update to Amazon MQ. It, it, as we mentioned earlier, it now not only has ActiveMQ, but also RabbitMQ, if that is your preferred queuing. Um, so yeah, you can use a version 3.86 of RabbitMQ. That's the only version available in Sydney uh, and I think elsewhere. Uh, it can be a public access or private access to access the console and AWS give you that DNS name uh, for you to log in and you have the same uh, interface that you always use with RabbitMQ with uh, your messages and uh, the memory and everything from your uh, instance. And you can pick, obviously, when you set it up um, as well, if you want a cluster or if you want just a single node. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. It's an interesting one to me because, um, I mean, RabbitMQ... It seems like the more popular product, so I wonder why it's kind of evolved this way. That they've they've got RabbitMQ, they're adding it now, but it's been ActiveMQ up to, up till now. Is that a lot like a licensing thing? Do you think? Oh yeah, I had exactly the same question when the product came out, like a couple of years ago. It's like, why did they pick this one? I never heard about it. I always heard about RabbitMQ. So yeah, interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think they both support um, AMQP. Um, so I think I can sort of understand why they, why ActiveMQ was, was deemed an okay MVP for this kind of service because AMQP is the protocol that they both, you know, that RabbitMQ uses as well. So it's kind of RabbitMQ kind of compatible, but I think, you know, the fact that so many people know RabbitMQ quite well and probably know how to you know, tune tune it for what they're trying to do. Uh, and, you know, obviously client libraries and so forth probably makes a difference as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm guessing that, that ActiveMQ was just an easier, easier first, first, uh, first release or first product to, to use from a licensing point of view. But yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Speaking of licensing things, um, one that I found very interesting um, is document DB with MongoDB compatibility. Now adds support for MongoDB 4. So when document DB first came out, it only supported 3.2 around there, which happened to be the very last version where MongoDB had a license that made it 
free to use basically by cloud providers. Mm. So I really wonder what happened here now. Did AWS start paying MongoDB or did they find a loophole around <laughs> the APIs? Because it was basically the API structure that they um, put the license type on. I can't recall the exact details. I looked, uh, I was interested in it at the time, but it, I think it's now a year ago. Does that mean that MongoDB is going to move to five, maybe? <laughs> Possibly. I mean, it's 4.0. I don't know where MongoDB is now. It could be the third 4.234. So it's still behind, most likely, but there's still a big difference. Yeah. So the latest stable release is 4.4.1 of... Yeah, so so it's a four series. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. It is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I guess you know we we're most of us, I think, are, are kind of fans of open source and have come through the ranks of you know I guess developer and and, and fanboy. And you know we're we're kind of well speaking personally keen on on the whole concept. Um, and and you do have slightly mixed feelings sometimes when you see Amazon. Um, you know, take, take products like this and kind of obviously make a whole bunch of cash off it. And, um, you, you do see, I mean, there's been, um, Elasticsearch is, is another one where they have a similar kind of lag from the, and then obviously Elastic are trying to, you know, se- separate their own product and say, you know, come and use Elastic Cloud. It's better than AWS's product, et cetera, all those sorts of things. Yeah. So it'd be nice to think that they're, they're playing nicely together and everyone's, everyone's getting paid, um, for their, for their effort. Uh, but who knows? Hmm. Maybe we'll, <laughs> yeah, have to get someone drunk during a reinvent and find the true story. <laughs> um, Athena has engine version two. So another version bump there. It doesn't seem like a super major change to me. Uh, it adds a bunch. Well, it adds a bunch of new features. The big one might be federated queries, and some performance enhancement in some things like joins and ordering and aggregate operations. Additional geospatial functions always. always they're, they're always nice if you're into geospatial. But you will need to upgrade to the version two uh, from from the console. Yeah. Um, to be able to use the new features. Yeah. Anyway, actually, this is more of a security. Thing than data storage, but managed AD now has multi-region replication. You played around with this, JM, I think you said. Well, I didn't play around, but I had a look and more in detail, and I tried to create one to understand what would be the cost and stuff like that. So, I mean, people who use Active Directory, they know how hard it is or used to use Active Directory to to create domain controllers and to do replication and all of that. So now. AWS for the Microsoft Active Directory Enterprise Edition of the directory service uh, can replicate that for you across regions. So if you have a, a large domain that you run Windows instances in Sydney, for example, and in US East, now you can have uh, Microsoft Active Directory across these two regions uh, replicated for you automatically from the backbone from AWS, not using your network and having your uh, uh, the same AD uh, on, on both regions and across multiple accounts as well. Uh, cost-wise, it's not bad. Um, I mean, the the product itself uh, is 48 cents. Um, it's 24 cents basically per, per node, uh, and you need two of them for each region. Um, and then, um, so that's around 360 US dollars a month to have a, a, a two-node Active Directory. And then if you add another region, basically that's another 360 because AWS is going to create them for you. So very easy to use. You need to create your AD first. Uh, when you have it, you said add a region, you pick the region, you pick the VPC in that region, you pick the, the subnet you want, your domain controller, and then AWS is going to create everything for you in the back end. For you after that, it's just pointing to that DC to join the domain and, and all the application is done for you. So I like it because it's a really managed service. So for people who run Active Directory across multiple regions uh, with the same domain, that would be a very good saver. Because in the past, they couldn't use Active Directory managed services. They had to create their own on EC2 because you couldn't do that multi-region replication. 
So again, the design is like, even if you have on-prem, you can have uh, your own forest. You do a two-way trust with an Active Directory in AWS and uh, trusting your, your groups. Uh, and that way you can have in AWS world the managed services. Um, again, like you said, maybe before Guy, it seems to be expensive, but when you look at it, you have two, two EC2 instances running your account, fully managed, fully patched, highly available, you don't have to worry about anything, and uh, they manage by AWS for 500 Australian dollars a month, so it's pretty good. Sounds like a bargain to me. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the wonderful world of running Windows on your Snowball Edge? <laughs> you do, I can tell. Well, so, um, Snowball Edge has, has a purpose, right? Uh, people are running that in submarines, in mining, and not all applications are running on Linux. So I know some uh, mining company who have some Windows application that they couldn't run. So that, that's, I think that's a good addition. You can run uh, uh, 2012 or two, I think, and 16 and 19. Uh, but you need to bring your own license. So you will need to import an IMI or VFDK or whatever you've got on-prem into AWS with bring your own license because that's your Windows. You can't use the supply licensing from AWS because you run that on, on the local hardware. And uh, obviously have your proper license with Microsoft to be able to do it. And then uh, run import that image when you create your Snowball Edge into your, your device. And then you will be able to launch that IMI uh, when you receive your Snowball Edge. Yeah. So one thing actually that could be useful for people and it's good to know is that AWS Backup now supports the FSx file systems. Obviously, when AWS Backup uh, was announced, it was the first and only way to backup EFS. And since then, it has started including a lot more options. And FSx, um, which you couldn't backup before, at least not in an automated fashion by AWS, now also falls under the AWS backup umbrella. Yeah, in the past you had to do PowerShell script and, and all sort of kind of manual stuff to be able to do some backup in there. And that's Windows File Server and FSx for Lust as well. Both of them are now included. So you just need to have a tag uh, to include them in your AWS backup or you uh, include the ARN name into your backup and uh, it will backup as fiddle. Yeah. And because I can't leave it off, you can now also use FSx for Windows with your ECS Windows containers. So yeah, so if you need permanent storage for your uh, ECS Windows containers and, and share that storage between multiple containers, then when you define your tasks, your task, uh, ECS task for Windows, uh, it will mount automatically that SMB share from FSx and you can have that permanent storage in your container. Interesting, interesting. Good, good addition. But yeah, who want to use it? Bit complex, I think. Yeah, instead of setting this up, I would suggest maybe looking at porting to .NET Core and running your application on Linux. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, there was um, uh, an improvement for AWS Storage Getaway. I know that maybe a lot of people are using it, but when um, you do tape... Uh, on-prem or volume getaway. Now you can uh, throttle the bandwidth uh, in your setup. So you can make sure, for example, that you're not going to allow more than one uh, or 500 meg uh, a second uh, during the day, and but then give the full bandwidth of that storage getaway to replicate by that to S3 uh, in, in your network. So that, that gives you a better performance for the product and then uh, more replication uh, in, in off-peak periods. So um, a good addition there because before... People had to do it at the router level, so now you can do it straight from the storage getaway. Yeah, that is definitely good. Um, just imagine you live in a country that doesn't have a great internet service thing, and they call it like NBN. <laughs> yeah. you, 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 you talk about Australia here. Um, one little announcement which I, I actually hadn't noticed until now is the 40% price reduction for EBS cold HDD SC1 volumes. That's not a bad um, price reduction. I mean, they're all, that's already one of the cheaper, cheapest uh, EBS volume types, obviously, for, for price per terabyte, um, but 40% cheaper now. So if you've got a lot of data that you need to, um, that a cold HDD storage um, device would be optimal for, then 
happy days for you. It's 40% cheaper now. So, uh, yeah, $160 cheaper a month uh, for a 16 terabyte volume. Yeah, so that's, that's neat. AI, ML. New instances. Um, usually we mention these in the EC2 VPC section, but these are specific for machine learning. GPU equipped P4 instances as probably doesn't come as a surprise, these follow the P3 instances and are a lot faster, can be used for what it is, seems to call ultra clusters with 4,000 or more GPUs, which sounds awesome, if I can say so. Maybe it's the way they run Alexa or something. I mean, who needs that, that much stuff except NASA or, or Amazon itself? Well... Maybe you can do your machine learning <laughs> in a fraction of the time using this. The specs sound cool that you have yeah, 600 gigabit per second bidirectional NVIDIA NV switch bandwidth, according to Graph. Uh, lots of things. I honestly don't know what to say about this. Other than that, it sounds cool. But it seems like Hello World might be over, <laughs> might be overkill. <laughs> yeah, um, I think they they only come in one size. I think. Yeah, P four D twenty four X large, and you can launch them in US East and US West Oregon. And they come with one point one terabyte of memory and four hundred gig networking DNA. So very cool. I don't think any other cloud has anything like that on this size, for sure. Yeah, the poly launched a new Australian English normal text-to-speech voice. It's Olivia. So we had uh, Russell and Nico, which are very Australian name. But Olivia, is it Australian? Yeah, Olivia. Olivia (laughs) Newton-John. Of course, I missed her. Yeah, 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 of course. Goodness gracious me. You'd fail your citizen test with that one. That answer. <laughs> so you can use uh, Poly um, uh, with that, that voice, and um, it's got a unique vocal personality uh, with voice sound expressive, natural, and easy to follow. Probably not like mine, but uh. you know what I think. I think at this point, I will have a say. A fair shake of the sauce bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, did Did you listen to the British news newscaster style? Um, I'd listened to a little snippet of it, and it's kind of creepy. Well, you know that concept of um, the uncanny valley. In aesthetics, the uncanny valley is a hypothesized relationship between the degree of an object's resemblance to a human being and the emotional response to such an object. You, you've heard of that, yep, right. So that's that's that th- that bit in your in perception that that like when something looks human, um, like it gets to a point where you, you know. So you've got cartoon cartoon representations of humans going down, sort of all the way or going all the way towards like very realistic three D re- renditions of humans, and people like cartoony humans; they can relate to them. And you get to a point though where the human representation is so close to looking like a real human. It's becoming creepy, is it? That it becomes creepy and people don't like it. And that's this uncanny valley where people's sort of um, uh, feelings towards these these things gets gets negative. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's exactly what what my feeling is with this, with some of these um, uh, speaking voices that, that Polly's getting now. They're just, they're just, they're, they're so good. Like previously, when they were kind of all stilted and hello, we are a automated voice. You could go, oh, poor thing. It's a bit, it's a bit stupid, but I kind of get what it's saying. But so I don't mind it, right? And, but as they get better and better and better and they're almost human, I think the uncanny, uncanny valley's kicking in. And for me anyway, I listen to these and I go, oh, oh, I'm, I'm feeling very uncomfortable with that voice. Well, that's just plain rude. A computer is talking to me. <laughs> well, yeah, because you, you know it's not real, 
but it sounds very real. And you and, couldn't yeah. be tricked by it. Is that that's your absolutely? Your fear. And, yeah. and 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 well, it's not my fear. I don't, I don't not personally afraid of being tricked by it. But I just think it, there's something in your psyche that says that things are human. But there's something about it that I can't quite put my finger on that isn't right. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that's so, so they're going to have to, they'll probably spend, you know, another, like it's like the 10%, the, the, the next 10% of making these voices very natural will be, will take them probably 10 years yep. to, to, to get that last little bit, right? Until we actually can't distinguish and we're comfortable that, you know, whatever we're talking to is, you know, it's a computer, but we don't care anymore because it just sounds so real that we're happy with it. Speaking of sounding so real and being happy with it, I saw a set of free <laughs> announcements that are just tailored to Cause you. Bad, <laughs> cause, cause bad things come in threes. <laughs> so these wouldn't be the deep composer announcements, would they? <laughs> they might just be. I remember last month you were talking about how there wasn't uh, something like the community races for Deep Composer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was. But but I see here in, that they announced yet another Chartbuster Challenge, and it is nicely named Keep Calm and Model On. <laughs> yes. <laughs> are you are you competing in that? Because you've got you've got the keyboard, haven't you? And you've got the skills. Uh, one of those is true. <laughs> <laughs> yep chart busters yep yep that's gonna be that's gonna be um uh yeah it's gonna be all over mtv i reckon uh, is mtv even a thing or am i just <laughs> i'm just showing my age i think MT mtv mtv stopped being a thing in the 90s guy shut up <laughs> you're embarrassing yourself i just call it youtube these days <laughs> that's right <laughs> exactly yep anyway Keep keep calm and carry on. Uh, another interesting one for JM, I think, is Amazon Lex now adds language support for French, Spanish, Italian, and Canadian French. I'm missing Australian French in there to completely understand you. Yes, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's, that's very, uh, a very important uh, language to, uh, to uh, support. But yeah, that's right. Uh, is 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 Australian French where you you can say fair shake of the sauce bottle, fair shake of the sauce bottle. <laughs> I, want, that- I, I want to try that. I want to try that. But okay. I, I was looking at uh, reinvent videos, and there were going to be some multi-language version as well at reinvent for the first time. There is some French uh, recording. There is some Japanese version as well. Some Korean version. So inside the list of uh, reInvent. Um, so um, some French sessions, which is uh, the awesome. first time. Let's just hope they're not using Lex and Polly to, to, <laughs> to, to <laughs> interpret and then revoice the presentations yeah. of people. Yeah, because yeah. that, 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 that would not end well, I think. And the other cool stuff, uh, two new region again. Um, AWS is releasing one in... Hyderabad in India. That's going to be the second second region in India with uh, three availability zone, and that's mid 2022. So not yet. Um, and then uh, another one in uh, uh, Europe in Zurich, uh, Switzerland, with again half of 2022, uh, three availability zone there uh, available. So a lot of region in Europe now. Yeah. And. You know, being French in the past, Switzerland was always the place you're going to put your money to uh, kind of hide the money from the tax office. No, not that you would do that. No, no, I, I, I was not. I was an accountant in the past, so I knew a bit the, the tricks. But um, what's going to happen now? Maybe people are going to put some of the storage and data into Switzerland to make it safe. Because I remember everyone, everyone Switzerland is outside the EU. So um, different laws, different language. Um, so interesting uh, to have some some uh, uh, 3AZ appearing there in Switzerland. And AWS, where is our second region in Australia? We're missing it. Uh, we need one. There is none in Europe now. Come on. We need another one in Australia. Yeah. We have just as much land as all of Europe. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm not talking about people. Just land. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, so they'll have two regions outside the EU in, in, in that area now because i'll have um london and 
There's oh, a, there's a yes. region in London, isn't there? Yes, yes. And um, and Switzerland. So two yeah. two outside the EU. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, one thing just to zip back a little bit, we did skip, didn't say, but I thought it's kind of cool is um, Amazon Textract supports handwriting and five new languages. That's kind of cool in the AI and ML section. Um, might be worth uh, just mentioning that. Yes, um, I think that's. I want to see the quality. I'm very interested. Uh, I've got a customer who do exams online and stuff like that for kids who write and scan into images. Uh, really interested to see the quality on that and um, how that's going to work. I'm gonna I'm gonna write in my worst handwriting, fair shake of the sauce bottle, and feed it in and see what happens. <laughs> I try to make it say like poly. Yeah. But anyway, that's 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 is a cool cool feature. Um, and obviously, yeah, the, the, the devil's in the details and how well it does it. But, uh, to be able to, to have that, uh, coming through in that, in that service is a, is a definite step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Because usually there's a mix of paper and, um, sorry, type characters and, and written characters. So that will be able to do both. So, yeah. Another announcement that did some testing in is CloudWatch, uh, launch Metric Explorer. It's kind of a small announcement, but, uh, for people that have been using CloudWatch and try to find the metric they want into that list uh, who go over and over and over of plenty of stuff, including all stuff, instances will disappear. Um, I think that's that's really good. Um, now you can search by tag, you can search by uh, all sorts of things um, to be able to capture the metrics you need and build a dashboard. So um, a very good addition there for CloudWatch having that metric explorer. So it's a different section into the CloudWatch space, another one. Um, and then you click on it and then you can start searching uh, between all your metrics in your account. So that's pretty fast to build a, a, a dashboard now or, or the, uh, looking at a couple of metrics or grouping them by, like say, RDS with the same tag. You can do that search and then you capture all the CPU for all your RDS with the same tag. So um, yeah, good, good addition for CloudWatch. Yeah, cool. Um, the one I had was the uh, AWS backup and AWS organization bringing cross-account backup features uh, available to customers. Um, again, a new features from AWS organization where you can cross um, a copy backup across account. Um, that was features a customer requested. You know, they want to have this... Um, um, this kind of bunker type of account where they're going to put all their backups uh, with different keys, different access, or different even encryption keys. A bit like you take your tape from your tape when we used to do it five years ago or 10 years ago, and then you give them to a nice man in a, in a van who's going to put them in a bunker somewhere offsite in case of your building just burned down. So it's a bit the same, same idea. Um, yes, you do your backup, you do your snapshot in your account, but what about if something happened to that account? Can, can I move this backup to another account with different keys and different access uh, uh, patterns? So now you can do it across um, your organization with uh, AWS backup integration with organization and, and copy uh, your backups to another account. So that's, uh, I think, very good features. In the past, people had to do scripts or run Lambda functions. Um, so now it's all automated. Just a little limitation at the moment. Uh, you cannot uh, do a cross account for Amazon DynamoDB tables. You could use another system to do that. And you cannot move Amazon FSx file system as well across uh, account. We just found this month that uh, AWS Backup support AWS FSx. So I think uh, that's probably a feature will be coming soon. Yep, definitely a cool feature. Yeah. So you can you can restore from another account. You can, yeah, there is really a, a nice uh, set of features who um, help you, you know, to protect against disaster, ransomware, and all sorts of things that can happen into a backup. So, did we have some nano candidates? Oh, I didn't look at that today. No, I didn't. I didn't really look at it. I, I think. I think one that's cheating, kind of cheating, is the. Um, there was yet another announcement around WorkDocs and the <laughs> iOS app. Um, it, it. It's. It was. Um, here, let me see. Uh, you can manage the color theme in in app on iOS. So, not only does it now have light or dark themes. But you can manage it inside the app. <laughs> Your stunned silence speaks volumes. <laughs> it is amazing. It is amazing. So I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you so that you can fully enjoy it. Amazon WorkDocs now supports the ability to change the color theme, light or dark, 
directly in the WorkDocs iOS app. It's, yeah. Um, I'm. Are you sitting down? I can only, I can only be more impressed if the next announcement about WorkDocs is if you press the enter key, the cursor goes to the next line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're so mean. I actually used WorkDocs just, just to see what it was like. And there's actually some nice features in it. So, you know, I'll just, I'll leave that there in case anyone from the WorkDocs team is, is listening to this and goes, <laughs> they're being mean about my color theme switcher in the app. And I'll just say, look, it's, it, it's not all bad. It, it, it's pretty, it's probably quite good. In fact, in, in, in some ways. So, so there. Um, no, I don't have. Uh, I can't see one. Well, there's always IQ launches new functionality to support firms, um, which means you can now also have project managers. Wow, that's that. That's your nano. <laughs> it almost say so. Yeah, I, I I think I'll leave that as the nano. Um, yeah. There were some other possibilities, but. Yeah, nothing really stood out as easy to make fun of this time. Yeah, I mean, there's Honeycode, of course. That's that. I mean, sign, single sign-on for Honeycode, but that feels like punching down to me. Um, this one might be nice. Amazon Connect has just reduced its 44th telephony rate this year. <laughs> yeah, except if I guess if you're using it, you might really appreciate that. I don't know. Depends on by, by how much. Like, they don't say. Like, is it by one cent or, you know? Uh, to be honest. One percent. I am glad that they didn't do a separate announcement for each of those 44. Yes. <laughs> That's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe the, um, maybe the nanos are, are, are biting. Maybe they, they, they're feeling, they're feeling the heat of our, um, our roasting of, of their small announcements. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Once again, um, I want to thank our wonderful sponsors, Enabler, our gold sponsor, and AC3, CMD Solutions, and Do It International as our silver sponsors. I want to thank you as our listeners, JM, Thank you for coming. Oh, always a pleasure, Arjun and, and Guy. Always fun. And uh, thank you again for listening to us. Yep. And Guy, thank you as well. Yes. Thanks, Arjun. It's as as JM said. It is always a pleasure, and and it's a it's a fantastic opportunity to to jam into like an hour and a half, like so much information, and uh, and it's um it's it's always a pleasure to to have that brain expanding experience. Thank you. And just a reminder, our next episode will come fairly soon. Uh, that said, the last one was released two days before we recorded this one, so we'll have several in a short time. But as everybody else, we are looking forward to reinvent and talk about it afterwards. So, goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>